Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Success is far more dangerous than failure. Most of the time, we learn much more from failure than we do success. We're more humble in the face of difficulty than we are in the face of ease. Ben Franklin said, after losses and crosses, men grow humbler and wiser. Conversely, often after success and prosperity, men can grow complacent and prideful, unkind, self-entitled. Minister William Barclay said, the danger of prosperity is that it encourages a false independence. What, what does it do often? Prosperity causes us to think that we are good on our own without God. But when we go through struggles, we're often awakened that we have needs beyond our power to meet, that we have a need or something that some, that so, uh, for someone or something more powerful than ourselves. Why were churches across our country filled the Sunday after 9-11? Because as a nation, we understood we weren't as invincible as we thought. We weren't as powerful maybe as we thought. We weren't as safe as we thought that we were. And we realized we need something bigger than ourselves. Unfortunately, many of those churches that were filled are closed today. Adversity, it's been said, makes us seek the God that prosperity makes us think we don't need. Why did Christ say that it can be sometimes difficult for a a successful or financially wealthy person to get saved? Not impossible, but it can be difficult. Why? Because if a person has been able to meet all of their needs on their own, seemingly on their own, why would they think they need a Savior? If they don't recognize that I have a need greater than myself, why would I look for something else? It doesn't mean that it's impossible, but often someone that is, that is in earthly measure successful often thinks they're fine without God. In Deuteronomy 6, after decades of waiting, the children of Israel were about to enter God's promised land, God's prepared land of prosperity for them. You know, it's an interesting instruction that Moses gave the children of Israel. They had waited for decades for this promise to be fulfilled. And as they're getting ready to enter this land of blessing and promise and prosperity, by the way, if God has blessed you with material goods or with, with, with wonderful uh, blessings in life, whether they be uh, career or relationship or financial or anything like that, that is nothing to be ashamed of. That is not a, a bad thing. Where it becomes a bad thing is if we don't understand who is the giver of those things. And we don't honor him with that which he's entrusted to us. But as he's preparing them, what what was his instruction to them in the face of those fulfilled promises? He said this in Deuteronomy 6. He said, and it shall be 
when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells digged which thou digst not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not, when thou shalt have eaten and be full. When you've experienced the blessing, the earthly success that God has given to you, by the way, the Bible says it is God that gives you the power to get wealth? If you have the power to get wealth, that's a blessing and a gift from God. And he says, what does he say here? When you, when you are successful, when you're enjoying prosperity, when you're enjoying blessing, look what he says, then what's the verb there, church? Then beware, lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. It's easy to run to him in times of need. It's easy to run to him when the doctor gives news we weren't expecting. It's easy to run to him when, when we're struggling to make ends meet and we've lost our job. But what about when everything's going well? What about when you're on the mountaintop? What about when, when things are moving forward? It's been said we would run to him less if we walked with him more. Turn with me, if you will, this morning to Genesis chapter number 42. We continue our study on the life of Joseph. I say all of this this morning regarding success and prosperity because we're going to see the man we've been studying, Joseph, today. We've been seeing him persecuted, beaten, sold into slavery, imprisoned, falsely accused of a capital crime. We've been seeing him in some really low spots. And today we're going to see Joseph at the height of his power and prosperity. After decades, decades of struggle, of injustice, of disappointment, of pain, in our text today in Genesis 42, Joseph is, is, is going to be now in a position of ultimate power and prosperity. Today's message is when the dream comes true. When the dream comes true. For those that maybe are joining us and we're a few messages into this series, Joseph was a dreamer. God as a teenage boy had given him a crazy dream that his older brothers would one day bow before him in submission and he would rule over them um, and, and, and that his other 11 other brothers would, would, be, would be before him and he would be in a position of power and authority. His brothers resented him so much about this dream that when he was a 17-year-old boy, they sold him into slavery into Egypt. And then they went home and told their dad that an animal killed him, and they found his coat, and he must be dead. So it's been 22 years since that dream, we, since that, that being sold into slavery. We saw that message in chapter 37, when the dream becomes a nightmare. And we saw when the dream becomes a nightmare, and Joseph was persecuted, and then uh, we saw a couple of weeks ago, as Joseph got into Egypt, he, he, was, he moved up in the ranks, he was doing well, but Potiphar's wife, a very powerful woman, um, had, had ideas for an illicit, immoral relationship with Joseph, and Joseph stood strong against the temptation, and to be repaid for that, he was falsely accused of, of, of attacking her and, 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 and doing some things he should not have done, which he did not do, but he had been accused of that. And he was thrown into prison, and we saw in chapter 39, when the dream includes injustice. And then last week we saw as he was forgotten by the butler and the baker, and we saw when the dream dies. 
Last week in chapters 40 and 41, Joseph's dream is dead. His brothers are never bowing before him. He's probably never getting out of jail. Those that had the chance to help him get out of jail are now long gone, but we saw it took a couple of years, and God worked, and Joseph gets out of jail, and now he, to- he, had- he told Pharaoh his dream about the seven years of plenty and then the seven years of famine. Where we find ourselves today in our passage, we're going to cover the events of three chapters, chapters 42, uh, 43, and 44, when the dream comes true. What has now happened is Joseph has overseen seven years of plenty. He has stored up a whole lot of food and goods. And now where we find ourselves in chapter 42, we are two years into the promised seven-year famine. We're two years into the famine. Pick it up, chapter 42. Let's take a look in chapter 42 at verse number 6. We're going to see when the dream comes true. Chapter 42, verse number 6. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there should be one in the pew rack in front of you. I'd encourage you to follow along as we look at probably 15 or so verses this morning throughout our message. Chapter 42, verse number 6. And Joseph was the governor over the land, and he it was that sold to all the people of the land, And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. Does that sound familiar? His brothers come and bow. Joseph is the second in control, the second in power in Egypt. He is the second most powerful man in the most powerful country on the planet at this time. And he is there, and his people are coming from other countries. Joseph is the one that can decide how much food they get, or if they get food. Are they our allies? Do they have, do, are, are we okay with that country maybe suffering? Maybe we don't want to help those people. He even, he's, we're going to see that here a little bit in this story. And they come and they bow themselves before him. Verse number seven, and Joseph saw his brethren, and he knew them. He knew who they were, of course. But he made himself strange unto them, and spake roughly unto them, whence come ye? And and they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew not him. Would you see the first half of verse number nine? And Joseph remembered the dreams which he dreamed of them. 22 years later, that dream has now come true. His brothers 10 of them, because one was left, his, his only full-blooded brother, Benjamin, was his youngest brother. The baby of the family was left home with dad. 10 of them are now bowing before him, just as God had foretold some 22 years earlier. And I want you to think about what could Joseph do with them now? The answer is absolutely anything he wanted to. They didn't know who he was. You say, how could that be? Well, you have to remember that the cultures, the clothing, of course, he's, you look probably a little different when you were 17 to when you were 39. He's now 39. They haven't seen him. So there's just that difference. But he would have been clean shaven as Egyptian rulers would have been, not with the, the beard that he would have, most of them would have had in, in, in Israel. He would have been wearing Egyptian clothing. Of course, they weren't expecting to see their brother there. They thought their brother was dead. He was speaking in the Egyptian language to them. We see that he had an interpreter, so he's not speaking their language. So to them, this is just some unknown ruler, and they bow down and say, we need some food. And he basically says to them, 
He says, who are you? And, and, and who are you guys? And they tell him, and Joseph can't believe this is actually happening. The dream is coming true. And again, through, through the previous messages, we've learned a lot about how we should act and trust God when everything is going poorly. But today we're going to see how we should act when God is fulfilling our dreams beyond anything we thought possible, when life is good, when bills are paid, when people respect us, when opportunities are abundant, when the dream comes true. And today's message is a reminder, church family, that we don't only need God in the bad times, we need God all the time. We're going to walk through these chapters, these three chapters in this improbable, unthinkable story, and, and again, realize what's happening. A quarter of a century later, Joseph's teenage dream is coming to fruition. Let's walk through the story of him being reunited, and then we'll learn some valuable lessons about how we should respond on the mountaintops of life. Again, we've talked a lot about how we should respond in the valleys of life in recent weeks. But do you know life is not full of all valleys? Now, life has some valleys, but there are some mountaintops. There are some seasons of joy and blessing, and, and, and there are some seasons of, of abundance, and there are some seasons of promotion, and there are some of those seasons, and it seems like we focus on, well, when, my, when the bottom comes out of my life, when I hit rock bottom, when my world comes crashing down, then I, then I really got to focus on my faith, and I'm here to tell you, whether you find yourself on the mountaintop or the valley or somewhere in between today, that's when you need to focus on your faith. That's when you need to give your, your best to God. So what's happening in our text? Well, to start chapter 42, Joseph, I'm sorry, Jacob, these, Joseph's dad, Jacob, whose name turned into Israel, Jacob tells his boys, he says, boys, it's time for a Costco run. What has happened, look at verse number one of chapter 42, look at verse number one. The Bible says, now when Jacob saw there was corn in, e there was corn in Egypt, Jacob said unto his sons, why do you look one upon another? Basically, again, when you read the Bible, think about what's happening. It's a dad, they're all hungry, and, and they're saying, what are we going to eat tonight? And they're all looking at each other, and he's like, what are you guys looking at each other for? Go get some food. Look at verse number two. Here's what he says. Verse number two, and he said, behold, I've heard there's corn in Egypt. Get down thither and buy from thence that we may live and not die. And Joseph's ten brethren went down to buy corn in Egypt. But Benjamin, he, he was not with his brethren. Why? For he said, Jacob said, lest peradventure mischief befall him. We see the wound of losing Joseph 22 years later is still very fresh and very raw in Jacob's life. And the sons of Israel came to buy corn among those that came for the famine was in the land of Canaan. And what's happened? There's been two years of famine. Their pantry are empty. Their crops are depleted. All the Sam's clubs in Canaan are closed, gone out of business. There go. So where do you go? You go to Costco in Egypt, the warehouses full of food. Now, if you work for Sam's Club, that's not like, a, I don't like Costco better than Sam's Club, all right? That was just an illustration. But they're going to a giant, giant warehouses full of food in Egypt because all of their grocery stores are bare. All the shelves are empty. Two years of famine. It's time to go get some food. So then we come, we come to that piece, uh, what we just read there, where they come and, and Joseph sees them. They show up. They have no idea that, that it's Joseph, that, that, it's a, that it's the brother they think is dead now. And he wants to know what's going on with his family. So uh, for the sake of time, I won't read this. This was your homework last week. But he says, you're spies, aren't you? He said, who are you guys? And again, when you read the whole story, you understand what he's doing. He's trying to get information out to find out what's happening with his dad, with his brothers. He can't just give them food and let them go home. He'll never, he, 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 does, he won't ever get any information. So he says, 
hey, you guys, you got some sinister uh, plans and plots here, don't you? You're spies. You don't really need food. You're coming to try to overtake and maybe rob us, aren't you? And they say, you can read it. They say, no, 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 we're not spies. We're just 11 brothers. And we had 12, but one is not. They literally say this to him. One is not, and one is home with our dad. We're just 10 normal guys from Canaan. We're, we're just 10 Jewish, bo- J- Jewish men. Just, we, we're just here for food. We promise we don't have any ulterior motives. You can see it, he says, they say all of that in verses 9 through 13. Uh, Verse number 18, Joseph said, so Joseph puts them then, he wants to see Benjamin, his younger brother, the only full-blooded brother he has, and his dad, so he comes up with a plan. He puts them all in a holding cell for three days. So they all go into a holding cell for three days, and I, I think as you read it, it's basically let them know, hey, I'm a powerful guy. I want to know the truth. You better think twice before you lie to me. Let me know what's going on. I think it's just to kind of flex a little bit of, I can do this when you read it. I don't believe there's any revenge factor here. I don't believe there's any, I'm going to make your life miserable because you made my life miserable. In fact, we're going to see the opposite in Joseph's life. But I do think it's just to let them know this guy could do some stuff to us if he wanted to. So he puts all the brothers in jail uh, in, a, in a holding cell for three days. In verse number 18, he said unto them the third day, this do and live, for I fear God. Verse 19, if you be true men, if you're telling the truth, let one of your brethren be bound in the house of your prison. Go ye carry for the famine, the corn for the famine of your houses, but bring your youngest brother unto me, so shall your words be verified and ye shall not die. And they did so. Look at this in verse 21. I want you to see this verse. And they said one to another, we are verily guilty concerning our brother in that, what, in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us and we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us. Isn't it interesting, 22 years later, they're still struggling with guilt. We're gonna see a beautiful, beautiful message in chapter 45 on a beautiful picture of redemption. But until you confront your sin, And until you find redemption and forgiveness and restoration, you will always struggle with that. They say here, 22 years later, get the picture. Here's what Joseph says. All right, guys, I'm going to let you all out. Take your food to your family. Leave one brother here kind of as collateral. Leave one brother here. And if you're telling me the truth, all you got to do to get that brother back is just bring Benjamin so I can see him. And, and, And they say to each other, It's all coming back on us because of what we did to our brother 22 years ago. The guilt they're still struggling with. That's the thing that that we don't realize with sin, isn't it? The consequences and the guilt that carries on long after. By the way, it doesn't have to be that way. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. God can give you forgiveness. His mercy is more. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. But until we confront and acknowledge and accept that redemption, we will struggle for our lives. And so he tells them to prove you're not trying to overthrow our country. We're going to keep one of your brothers here. So they keep Simeon and and scene three, they're on their way back home. Scene three, I thought you were going to pay. So Joseph keeps Simeon and the other nine brothers are heading back home. They didn't know this, but Joseph had commanded one of his servants, put all their money, fill up their their sacks with corn, fill up their sacks with food, and then the money they paid us to buy all that food, put it all back in every one of their sacks. So they're getting all the food for free, and and, and they're going to have their money in there. And so they're on their way back. They're a little, you can tell from their words, they're a little shaken up. 
man, our brother's still here. We got to explain this to dad. It's kind of like deja vu when we had to explain Joseph was dead. We got to tell him what just happened. Simeon's still back in Egypt. And then there's somewhere along their journey, they open up their sacks and all their money's there. And they're looking around and they're like, did you pay? I thought you paid. What? You didn't pay? How did we, why is our money? Guys, look, Judah, you were supposed to pay. No, I told, I told Reuben to pay. No, I told Gad it was Dan. No, who didn't, what, this guy, he already thinks we're spies. He already thinks we're liars. He's got Simeon. Now he thinks we're thieves. He's going to kill us. So they get home. They tell their dad the whole story. This guy, all our money's here, dad. We got to take it back to him. He thinks we're spies. We told him we're not. He didn't believe us, so he made us leave Simeon there. And he said the only way Simeon can get out is if we bring Benjamin. And Joseph, you can read it. Joseph basically says, I'm not letting you take Benjamin. It's not happening. I already lost Joseph. And by the way, you remember Joseph and Benjamin are the only two children with his beloved wife, Rachel. I'm not losing Benjamin, my baby boy. I'm not losing, in some ways, my favorite, which isn't really a good thing as parents, but my favorite. I'm not doing that. I'm not losing that. So they come back and tell their dad. Skip to chapter 43, verse number one. I appreciate you following with us, and we're going we're gonna to bring this to some thoughts. I think that'll be a help to all of us. Chapter 43, verse number one. Notice, and the famine was sore in the land, and it came to pass when they had eaten up the corn which they had brought out of Egypt, their father said unto them, go again, buy us a little food. Hey, he says, guys, go get some more food. And Judah comes and says, dad, I'm happy to, but I told you, this guy's not giving us any food if we don't bring Benjamin. You've got to let Benjamin go. His dad says, Jacob says, no. Reuben says, well, hey, dad, if we don't bring Benjamin back, you can kill my two sons. Father of the year there. Like, you can kill my two boys. And they're like, no, we're not doing that. And so then Judah, by the way, I don't have time to go there. This is a whole other message. It's a beautiful message. Judah is the one that literally sold Joseph into slavery. And Judah's the one that steps up and says, dad, I give you my word I will make sure Benjamin comes home. By the way, we're going to see it at the end of the story. He literally lays down his life for Benjamin. He's willing to lay down his life for Benjamin. A beautiful picture. People can change. People, I've preached a whole message on this from Judah's life here. People can change. Judah is a different man today, 22 years later, than he was uh, uh, when, when he sold Joseph into slavery. So Judah basically says, Dad, and, and so then it's on the road again. His dad agrees, okay, I'm holding you accountable, Judah. You've got to bring Benjamin home. They come back to Egypt, this time with Benjamin. Joseph sees them, and he says, let's have a dinner party. And they're like, this guy's crazy. We don't know him. We're scared of him. He thinks we stole his money. They go, and I'm skipping some of the parts, but Joseph welcomes them all into his house for a dinner party. They're not sure. They might get thrown into jail because, because they'd taken all the money. They did the books and found out that they hadn't paid for their food, however long ago they were here. But instead of that, Joseph's saying, come into my house for a dinner party. And, and they're there. And even crazier, now, by the way, Joseph is overjoyed to see his only full-blooded brother, Benjamin. He couldn't contain his emotions. Look at chapter 43. Skip down to verse number 26. Look at this. And when Joseph came home, they brought him the present which was in their hand. They had brought double the money to make up for it, to say we're sorry for taking our money. They bowed themselves to him to the earth. There's the second time. His brothers are all bowing before him. The dream is coming true or has come true. Verse 27, and he asked them of their welfare and said, is your father well, the old man of whom you spake? Is he yet alive? Here's what he says. He sees all the brothers now, all 11, and he says, hey guys, how's your dad doing? You guys mentioned you had a dad. 
Is he still alive? And you can see they don't know who Joseph is. And look what they say. And they answered, thy servant, our father, verse 28, is in good health. He is yet alive. And they bowed down their heads and made obeisance. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, is this your younger brother of whom you spake unto me? And he said, God be gracious unto thee, my son. He has to keep the front up. He can't give him a hug. Is this that younger brother you mentioned to me? Yes. Oh, God bless you, my son. Look at verse number 30. And Joseph made haste, for his bowels did yearn upon his brother. And he sought where to weep. And he entered into his chamber and wept there. And he washed his face and went out and refrained himself and said, set on bread. What happens? By the way, last week we talked a little bit about forgetting, forgiving, forgetting, being fruitful. Remember Manasseh and Ephraim? And I told you forgetting doesn't mean you no longer have the memories. It means you choose not to dwell on and you choose not to be defined by. This is a great reminder. He had not forgotten the events. Do you see the raw emotion? 22 years later, he goes out and he weeps. I never thought I'd see him again. I never thought I'd see Benjamin. I never thought I'd have the chance to see my brothers. My dad's still alive. Everything I thought I had lost, God maybe is restoring. I don't know where this is all going to go. The brothers are terrified. By the way, another little piece of the story, Joseph has them all sit, and he has them sit in birth order. He says, all right, the oldest down to the youngest, and they're looking around like, how does this guy know? It's like those guys at the fair that guess your age. You ever done that? They have to be within three years, you know? How do they know? Your weight, they guess your weight, they guess your age, or they guess your birth month. Anybody ever done that? All right, I don't know how they do it, but they do it. All right, I don't know how they do some of it, but, but like, if you were guessing for me, they would never get it right, right? They would think I was way younger than I am. And how, how did this happen? How, how does he know our ages? They're all sitting around, and, and they're terrified, but they end up having a wonderful dinner. After dinner, he fills all of their sacks with as much food as they and their animals can possibly carry. He releases Simeon, who had been held back to them. He sends them on their way. All 11 brothers are on their way home with more food than you can imagine. Everything's good. They're headed home to see their dad with nothing but good news. But there's a plot twist. What happens is they didn't know it, but Joseph had told one of his servants, again, he still wants to see his dad. He had told one of his servants, put my silver cup, put it in, in Benjamin's sack. So they're all going home. Their, their caravan is going home. And all of a sudden, before they were too far gone, one of Joseph's servants rides up on them and says, hey, guys, 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 stop. We just fed you dinner. We gave you all this food. Why would you steal from my master? And they said, no, 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 no. None of us stole from your master. We promise you we did not steal. In fact, we're so sure none of us stole from your master. If you find it in any of our bags, you can kill the brother that you find it in, and the rest of us will be your slaves. We did not steal from you. They, they tell them we've done nothing of that, so the steward says, prove it. Let's look in your bags. They say, absolutely. To their shock and their dismay, the last bag they opened was Benjamin's, and there it was. So Joseph's servant says, you guys have got some explaining to do. So they get up, look at verse number 40, uh, look at 44, verse number 13, please. 44, verse number 13. Then they rent their clothes like you would at a funeral. This is the end. One of them, Benjamin's going to die. They laid at every man his ass and returned to the city. And Judah and his brethren came to Joseph's house, for he was yet there. And they fell before him on the ground. Do you see it? Three different times. They all bow before him. Three different times the dream comes true. 
He's in the place of power. And they come and they say, hey guys, no problem. We're just gonna keep Benjamin here. And Judah, he's promised his dad, I promise we won't lose Benjamin. And Judah comes up, he comes up to Joseph and he says, he tells him the whole story. You can read it in chapter 44. He says, we could barely get Benjamin to come. You, you made us bring him because we wanted Simeon back. I promised my dad, look at verse number 31. Notice verse number 31. It says, it shall come to pass when he seeth that the lad is not with us, that he will die. My dad can't handle this, sir. And thy servant shall bring down the gray hairs of thy servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For thy servant Judah became surety. I became a promise, promissory note for the lad unto my father, saying, if I bring him not unto thee, then I shall bear the blame to my father forever. Look what he says, verse 33. Now therefore I pray thee, let thy servant, me, Judah, abide instead of the lad, a bondman to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brethren. For how shall I go up to my father, and the lad be not with me, lest peradventure I see the evil that shall come on my father again. Beautiful picture of growth. Did they care anything what it would do to their dad 22 years ago when they came home without Joseph? And Judah's the one that had the idea to sell him to slavery. And today he says, please, sir, please, let Benjamin go. Let him go. I'll be your slave forever. You can have my life. I can't do this to my dad. I can't. He'll die if he doesn't come back. He said it in here. They say it once or twice. He already has another son who's dead. He says it in this chapter. He has another. He's telling Joseph this. He has another son who's dead. He can't handle one more. And, and, and we're going to see it in chapter 45, two Sundays from today, one of the most beautiful chapters in all of Scripture. But we see what happens in chapter 45. Joseph does not punish any of his brothers. In chapter 45, he's going to reveal himself to his brothers. He's going to reveal his true identity. A beautiful reunion is going to take place. They're going to enjoy the joys of family for generations to come. I'm telling you, it's one of the most beautiful stories in the Bible. And it's a beautiful picture of the love and mercy and redemption and forgiveness of Christ in our lives. But what do we see here? What ends up happening is he doesn't even make Judah stay in slavery. He then reveals himself. And I don't wanna, I don't wanna, I wanna say 45 for two weeks from today. But he says, guys, it's me. He puts everybody out. I believe he begins to speak to them in, 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 in Hebrew. He begins to speak in their language. It's Joseph. And weeping, they're scared to death. And he says, guys, I love you. I don't want to hurt you. I want, I want to see dad. Go get dad. And they go home and they get dad and they move to Egypt and they all get positions of power and their families are greatly blessed. Why? Because of how Joseph responded when the dreams came true. When the dream comes true, so here we are. The dream has come true. Restoration that he never thought possible has happened. God has promoted him and blessed him, used him in ways he never could have imagined. What can we learn from Joseph? This is our application, and we'll finish the message up. What can we learn from Joseph? How should we respond on the mountaintops of life? Number one, stay humble. Stay humble. 
If you're successful, realize God has given you those opportunities and opened those doors. Oh, you might have worked really hard and you might have, but God is the one that gave you the brain that thinks that way. And God is the one that gave you those relationships. And God is the one that put you in that family that passed down that family business. And God is the one that allowed you to go to that college. And God is the one, stay humble. Well, look at what I've done. I'm a self-made man. There are no self-made men. All of us, today, God could cause our hearts to stop beating, and there's nothing you or I can do about it. Stay humble. If you're wealthy, realize it's God that's giving you the power to get wealth. And by the way, compared to the rest of the world, we are all wealthy. And so sometimes we, wealthy is always the person that has a little bit more than you. You're wealthy and I'm wealthy. Now we might not be wealthy, you know, compared to uh, uh, some other person we can compare to, but we have all been blessed abundantly. And by the way, well, it's because I've worked hard. It's because I'm smart. It's because I was top of my class. It's God that's given you that power and it's given me that power to get wealth. If you're healthy, realize that all health is from him. If you're in a position of power or authority, realize that God sets up people and he takes them down. Success in our lives often leads to pride and God resists the proud. Stay humble. When you stay humble, God exalts the humble. A great way to do that, by the way, a great way to stay humble when the dream comes true is to remember where you were before the dream came true. To remember who God was in your life in the prison and in persecution and when people hurt you. To, to remember the times when the dream hadn't yet come true. To remember where the blessings are really from. Number two, stay gracious. Every step of the way in this story, Joseph extends grace to those who had only ever hurt him. You know what some of us do when we don't stay gracious, when we don't stay humble? If I ever get a chance oh, I'm going to get back at that person. If I ever get a chance, I'm going to make their life miserable. If I ever get a chance, I'm going, to, I'm going to spit on their grave. That's not the spirit of Christ. Stay gracious. Stay gracious. All Joseph did in this story was help those who had only ever hurt him. Often when people experience a modicum of success in some field, they become jerks. Cele celebrities berating a waitress or a valet driver Athletes blowing off the little kid that wants to say hello. The CEO blowing up at the intern or the secretary. Stay gracious when the dream comes true. When God promotes you, when God gives you opportunities, be gracious, be kind. One of the greatest examples of someone who had experienced every success imaginable but yet carried grudges in his heart rather than gratitude and grace was a man you may have heard of. His name is Michael Jordan. Anybody heard of him? Okay. Okay thought so. Maybe some of you listened to his Hall of Fame speech. He was inducted into the Hall of Fame, widely considered by many the greatest uh, human being to ever play the game of basketball, the GOAT, the greatest of all time. In 2009, everybody, life was all about him. Everybody came together at a thousand dollar a plate meal to celebrate his, his storied career, to hear him, to give him that, that honor and those accolades. It was all about his success. And some of you might know, but what did he do on that night? On that night, he decided to turn his speech into a night of mocking and humiliating people from his past. He started his speech by pointing out the height of his brothers. He was 6'6". He pointed out that his brothers were 5'4 and 5'5". 
Then he jumps to his high school days, and he singles out his friend Leroy Smith. Leroy had made the varsity while Michael Jordan was cut from the varsity and only made JV that year. He literally flew this friend in to be a part of this special night. Leroy was on top of the world. Michael Jordan brought me in to enjoy the Hall of Fame celebration with him, only to hear be nationally embarrassed on national TV as Michael Jordan basically said, you thought you were good, or what, however he said, but basically said, you were good there, but I, I beat you. He, had to, he was still... Uh, harboring these grudges and this bitterness toward his high school teammate. He criticized his high school coach, and then he moved on to one of his best friends and his college roommates, a man named Buzz Peterson. Buzz had been the North Carolina play, High School Player of the Year in 1981. Jordan had to let him know, you might have been better then, but you're not better now. This speech was in 2009. That was 28 years earlier Buzz had been the High School Player of the Year. This, he was still bitter. He took a shot at Dean Smith for failing to highlight him in a Sports Illustrated feature article when he was a college freshman 28 years earlier. He went on to highlight people who had slighted him, the Bulls team doctor he mentioned, the Bulls coach, the Bulls owners, opposing players. He criticized the Hall of Fame itself for, for charging $1,000 a plate, and he said, I had to pay, this guy's a billionaire, and he's whining about having to pay on his Hall of Fame night, whatever it was, fifty dollars or $100,000 head tickets to his thing. He went on to negatively reference Magic Johnson, Isaiah Thomas, Pat Riley, before saying he might come back to the NBA to play at age 50. Everybody was shocked. A night intended to honor the best player ever turned into a night that revealed what an insecure, unfulfilled, unkind, for lack of a better word, jerk he could be. Be gracious. As God blesses you and you get success and you have opportunities and you have authority, be gracious. Be gracious to those you meet that can do something for you and be gracious to those you meet that can do nothing for you. Be kind, I like the quote, in a world where you can be anything, be kind. When you are blessed, stay gracious, stay humble, stay gracious. Number three, stay generous. Joseph went above and beyond to use his resources to bless his family, the ones who had hurt him, to bring life. He, he brought life to those who had wished death on him. When he was in a place of power, what was he? He was generous. If you've been blessed with relationships, with resources, with, with opportunities, you have been blessed not just for yourself. You've been blessed, and I've been blessed to be a blessing. So be a blessing. Be generous. Use what God's given you to help others, to make others' lives brighter and better. Use what God has blessed you with. That's what Joseph did. When the dream came true, Joseph stayed generous. He wasn't bitter. He wasn't angry. He wasn't unkind. He wasn't arrogant. He wasn't harsh. He wasn't vengeful. He wasn't a jerk. He stayed humble. He stayed uh, gracious. He stayed generous. You've been given much, I've been given much, so that we can give much. Your financial success should not just allow you to live a more comfortable life. It should, it should allow more people to have eternal life. Can I say that again? Your financial success and mine should not just allow us to live a more comfortable life. It should allow more people to have eternal life. Give to people. Give to this church. Give to the missions works that we partner with around the world. Have you ever thought about your EROI? How many of you know what ROI is? Your return on investment. Have you ever thought about your EROI? Your eternal return on investment. You know the Bible teaches that. 
Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth or rust doth not corrupt, where thieves don't break through and steal. Lay up for yourselves, not on earth, lay up for yourselves in heaven. You know the Bible, Paul said, as people gave to his work so he could share the gospel, Paul said, I'm not, I'm not asking you to give so that I can get more money, but I desire fruit that abounds to your account. If you're a savvy investor, if you're a savvy businessman, you know your ROI and you care deeply about your ROI. Do we care as deeply about our eternal return on investment, that which God has given us, that we're investing into the work of God so that others can hear of Christ. Do you or I have a beautiful home, a nice car, a great retirement account, but no eternal impact through our giving? Are you living the American dream, but completely missing your heavenly purpose? Why be, why be generous? Because people in Orange County and around the world are on their way to hell. And through your gifts and your service, you can change that for someone. You know, again, having a lot of money doesn't make you generous or selfish. It's a heart thing. Some of the most generous people I know are some of the most wealthiest people I know. Some of the, the most stingy people I know are some of the wealthiest people I know. And some of the most generous people I know are some of the poorest people I've met. And some of the stingiest people I know are some of the poorest people I've met. It's not an income level issue. It's a heart issue. But ask yourself, have I become selfish and self-centered, self-absorbed? We'll drop five or 10,000 or 50,000 or 100,000 or more on something, a car or something for our home or a remodel, and then we feel good because we dropped 10 or $100 into a Salvation Army bucket. Are we generous? Joseph was. When the dream comes true, be generous. Number four, stay forgiving. Look at the last verses we're going to look at, chapter 45, verse number 5. Please look, if you will, chapter 45, verse 5. I want to look at four more verses. Look what Joseph says when he reveals himself. They're scared to death because now all their sins are coming back to haunt them. They're found out. Joseph's in power. He has the, the, he's already put them all in a holding cell for three days. They know he can put them to death. Look at verse number 5, chapter 45, verse number 5. Now, therefore, be not grieved, stop worrying, guys, nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither. Don't, don't worry about it, guys. What does he say? For God, who? God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in the which there shall be neither earring or harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth, to save your lives by a great deliverance. Our family's not going to die, guys, because you sold me into slavery. It was God's plan. Verse 8. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God, and he hath made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. What, is, what are Joseph's words teaching us about Joseph? Joseph had come to a place of complete forgiveness of his brothers. He held no vengeance, he held no grudge, he held no animosity, he held no anger, he held none of those things. What does he say? Guys, don't worry. You didn't do this, God did. What does that tell us? That tells us somewhere along the way, Joseph got private victory over his hurts. Somewhere along the way, before the reunion happened, Joseph had forgiven the brothers he thought he would never see again. You say, Pastor Ryan, how can you be sure? Number one is words, number two is actions. He could have killed them, imprisoned them, made their lives miserable, and instead, and here's what I wanna say, as you 
as, you, as the dream comes true, stay forgiving. Who has hurt you that you have not forgiven? When people do you wrong and you have the power to make their lives miserable, choose to forgive them. Why? Because vengeance and bitterness, here's, you know who, whose life it really makes miserable? Yours. Lastly, number five, stay faith-filled. Did you see how many times he mentioned God in these passages? God did this. God sent me here. God was at work. God wanted me in Egypt. God is using me for his purposes. What does it show us? That on the mountaintop, he trusted God just like he did in the valley. In the palace, he trusted God just like he did in the prison. He trusted God. And may I say to us, trust. we talk a lot when we preach, when, when things go wrong, don't run away from God. When, when things get, get when, when you get the doctors, you get the diagnosis, God's still in control. Trust him. When, when, when somebody hurts you, don't blame, I, I think I said last week or the week before, don't blame man's failures on God. We talk about all of that when things are going bad. Can I say the same is true? When things go well, don't forget God. When you get promoted, don't, don't get lifted up in pride. When things are going well, stay faith-filled. You know what happens a lot? It's what, it's what Moses said to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy. You're about to go into this land. You're going to have the nicest homes you've ever had. You're going to have the best businesses you've ever had. You're going to have the best stuff you've ever had. And what did he say? Beware lest thou forget. What is he saying? When you're on the mountaintop, stay faith-filled. Realize, yes, God allowed you to do that, but it was God. It's not all in your own strength. Give him the glory and give him the credit. And don't run away from God when things go wrong, and don't run away from God when things go well. Stay faith-filled. Don't lose faith in God's promises when they take 25 years to be fulfilled. Honor God in the prison and honor God in the palace. Help people who have been kind to you and help people who have hurt you. That's the example and spirit of Christ. Don't lose faith when life is full of disappointment, and don't lose faith when life is full of dreams coming true. Don't lose faith. Known as the Prince of Preachers, one of the, the most published and quoted preachers in all of of really human history, Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, the crucible of adversity is a less severe trial to the Christian than the refining pot of prosperity. Oh, what leanness of soul and neglect of spiritual things have been brought on through the very mercies and bounties of God. Oh, what leanness of soul. We focus on the stuff that doesn't matter and we forget God. What leanness of soul and neglect of spiritual things have been brought on by the blessings and bounty of God. When the dream comes true, I have sitting on my desk, I've told you this before, there's a little placard, living the dream. I'll be honest, I love my life. I love the wife that God has given to me in the 24 years of marriage we've had together. I love the five children that God has blessed us with. I love the church. I was with our, our speaker from Thursday night, Ben Shetler. We went to get an, a, a burger, an In-N-Out burger on the drive-thru on the way to his hotel after he spoke. And he said, what's your favorite thing about pastoring? What's, what, what, do you, what, what, what do you love the most? And I, honestly, I said, this is going to sound really cliche. I love everything about what God has let us do. I love it. I love the people, I love our staff, I love our school, I love our church, I love the way that God's working, I love the lives that are being changed. I love preaching, I love singing with you. Uh, I, I don't wake up and I, but by the way, life is full of seasons. There have been seasons that I've been in struggle, 
And by the way, there are still seasons of struggle within all of living the dream. But I'll be honest, I love the life God has given me. But if I'm not careful, by the way, pastors can get lifted up in pride too. Did you know that? Stay humble, Pastor Ryan. Pastors can be jerks too. Are you aware of that? I have been. I'll try not to be, but I am sometimes. Stay gracious, Pastor Ryan. Pastors can challenge other people to be generous and be stingy themselves. Are you aware of that? Stay generous, Pastor Ryan. Pastors can hold grudges because people have hurt them and talk badly about them. Did you know that? Stay forgiving, Pastor Ryan. Pastors can lose faith. Stay faith-filled, Pastor Ryan. Maybe you're living the dream. You're enjoying a lot of what God is doing in your life. Maybe you're not. Listen to the other messages in this series if you're not. But maybe you are. But we learn a whole lot from Joseph when the dream comes true. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. If you're here this morning, you say, Pastor Ryan, honestly, I'm not living the dream. I'm in a difficult season. In fact, I don't even know that Christ is my Savior. I say to you this morning, turn to Christ. And maybe you find yourself in a season of great joy and victory and blessing. Don't walk away from God. Don't grow prideful, unkind, self-absorbed. Stay humble. Stay gracious. Stay generous. Stay forgiving. Stay faith-filled. In the prison experiences of life and in the palace experiences of life. In the demotions and in the promotions. In the, the times of famine and in the times of plenty. Let's learn from the example of Joseph. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.